for being here, but it's, uh, it's great to have the opportunity to share with you, um, share about the work of Baptist World Aid, which I know some of you are great supporters of, and I uh, uh, just want to thank you for that. But I want to talk today about mission. I want to talk today about how God might posture himself towards us, and therefore, in, um, in response to that, how we might posture ourselves towards the world. Does that make sense? So, um, I want to um, start by asking a question. I know it was a little while ago now, but um, how many people watched the coronation of King Charles? Anyone? Some people did. Other people are going up, no, no way. Well, I watched it. I watched it, like, for a bit, but uh, after about, I don't know, 18 or 20 hours or something, it seemed to get a bit, a bit too much. But um, uh, I remember watching this and all, and all the pageantry and all the parades and the horses and all that stuff and it ri- reminded me of a time um, about 10 years ago when uh, we took our kids to, uh, to England for a holiday and uh, we were meeting a friend in central London and we turned up on this day and it was just really busy and crazy and we didn't really know what was going on. But London's always busy but there were, there were more people than we'd ever seen before uh, there and as we were walking down to meet our friend, we were meeting just near the palace and uh, realised that there was something going on. And uh, someone said to us, "There's actually um, it's the opening of Parliament today. And if you uh, if you go down to the palace and line up, you'll be able to see the Queen and um, and Prince Philip and all the royal family. They'll all do this procession pass. So we we got down there, but because we didn't know it was on, we got there late and we were six or seven deep behind these barriers and there were the whole length of the road from the palace all the way down the mall and then around the corner to, to the Houses of Parliament were lined with um, you know, those soldiers with the funny hat things and the uniforms and about every, about every 10 metres on both sides of the road there's just hundreds and hundreds of soldiers and there's police with automatic weapons and it was just crazy and then uh, at, I think it was 11 o'clock at exactly that time there was this whistle and the gates to the palace fly open and this procession starts. And then there's horses and there's horses and there's horses and then there's a carriage and then there's horses and, and there's one carriage just with the crown in it going along and then there's more horses and then there's another carriage with the, with the scepter and, okay, and then another carriage with the round, the, the, the holy hand grenade of Antioch, that thing. <laughs> and um, uh, that just kept going and, and, and then eventually the Queen comes past and then um, Charles and Camilla go past and and then other various members of the royal family and more horses. And, and like, it was just insane. It just kept going forever. And um, when it was all over, we, we, um, the kids were complaining they couldn't really see too much, but we, we were starting to move away and someone said to us, do you know, if you wait, she goes down, she gives this speech at Parliament and they all come back again in reverse order. Well, not in, not in reverse, but, you know, they, that would be funny to watch the horses sort of gallop backwards. But they, they come back again. And uh, you'll get to see them again. So we sort of hung around with our friend in his park just off to the side. And then a bit later, we wandered back. And sure enough, we were the only ones there. Like, we're standing right up at the fence. And they all come back again. And as the Queen is going past, my daughter, who was about um, 14 or 15 at the time, decided this was the ultimate moment for a selfie. So she turned around and she took this shot. Um, and... Uh, when we got home and looked at it on a computer screen, we realised the Queen was actually looking at the thing. She calls it her selfie with the Queen. And, um, but it was just this insane day where you just see what 
in the UK what royalty means. And we don't really get that here. We don't get this whole idea of what it looks like when the queen turns up or when the king turns up or when someone uh, special and royal turns up. And it makes it hard for us sometimes to understand just the contrast between what it was like between that and what it was like when Jesus turned up. The biblical word, am I working? Yeah, here we go, it's going to do this thing, isn't it? Ah, it's not working, you might have to flick it for me. The biblical word for it is incarnation. The, um, uh, Eugene Peterson, in his translation of the message, says the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighbourhood. Totally different to this pageantry, totally different to this, this crazy thing of horses with so much silver and gold on them. I don't even know how they walked with all this stuff they had. It was just insane. But Jesus did something very different. He came and moved into the neighbourhood. He came like us. All because of this, this kingdom that was coming. No, I'm still not working. You're going to have to go. Yeah. Um, and came to talk about how God's kingdom was breaking in. That God's kingdom is here now. That God's kingdom is at hand. That it's tangible. That it's touchable. If you, if you reach out right now, you can grab it. It's just within our grasp, is what Jesus said in his early ministry. The kingdom of God is, is here. What does that look like? How do, we, how do we cope with that? That this king who emptied himself, who gave up all of this rights and privilege of royalty and became like us, says, well, this kingdom that I'm bringing is actually just right here now. And if you just reach out, you can grab hold of it. You go to the next slide. Oh, there we go back. Let, let me um, try and... Try and do it by telling this story. And it's really early on in, uh, in Mark's Gospel. And it's this great picture of Mark trying to frame what the kingdom of God breaking in looks like. So when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no, no more room even outside the door. Has, has anyone lived in a country town? Right? So Capernaum is probably a town of about 300 people. It's not a big place. And you know, if you lived in, we lived in Wyala for 13 years, which wasn't small, but it has the same thing. If something's happening in town, it doesn't take long for everyone to know about it. Right? We, we sometimes found out about things our kids had done at school before they walked home because their friends had walked past and gone, oh, Tommy's in trouble today. Oh, God, what's he done this time, you know? Um, so news spreads quickly. And so in a place like Capernaum, where Jesus shows up, a town of maybe 300 people, news gets around quickly. And so he turns up at this house, he starts teaching, and everyone just packs in. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralysed man on a mat. I, I wanted to get a picture of this, right? I, I, and I Googled for ages trying to find a picture and there's nothing decent that actually shows what this might look like. Everything is all about really nice, neat stretches that people are bringing people on and, and they're all carrying this man very, in a very dignified sort of way. And it wouldn't have been like that. They would have basically, would have been maybe picked up in something that looks a bit like a parachute. You know, sort of picked him up and, and carried him in this, 
thing is sort of been drooping in the middle and it's an ungainly thing. And they take him to this house. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof. Now, just think about that for a second. The houses that we're talking about had flat roofs and sometimes would have a staircase up the side and it was a place actually where people would maybe keep their livestock at night. Um, you, could, you could use it for all sorts of things, this roof space. And so these guys carry their friend up onto the roof and the roof is made of straw and mud and who knows what else and they actually start digging through the roof. Again, the pictures show this stretcher that's really nicely laid out with this lovely opening that's beautiful. They pulled off a couple of roof tiles and lowered the stretcher through. But you can imagine being inside the house. Jesus would have been sitting down teaching. Everyone else would have been standing around. And suddenly bits of roof just start drifting down on your head. Bits start falling. And you look up and there's this tiny little hole like with one finger poking through, just sort of picking at it, right? And then a bit more and a bit more and then suddenly the hole's a bit bigger and there's two hands and, and they dig, literally dig a hole in the roof big enough to lower a guy down in a mat. So you're standing there, maybe initially with your mouth open, but probably very quickly your mouth would have closed because you would have been chewing roof. With all this mess covered in roof, mud and straw and dirt and dust and watch this guy being lowered down in front of you. It's not neat and tidy, is it? The kingdom of God is messy. They lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralysed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Seeing their faith, the faith of the friends, that's what friends do, right? Friends bring their friends to Jesus. Seeing their faith, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. But Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralysed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? Which one's easier? How would you respond to that? So, I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralysed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat and go home. The man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this. What would that have been like for the guy? If he's, a, if he's a guy paralysed from birth, and we assume he is, then how did he know he could even get up and walk? Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Then he says, well, I'll, I'll show you that I can do that. Stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Something must have happened to this guy. Maybe he felt strength come to his legs. Maybe his legs were, were misshapen and they suddenly straightened. We don't know what happened, but we know that suddenly he had the confidence to get up and pick up his mat and sort of push his way through the crowd who were probably again going and walked out. 
And Mark places this right at the start of his gospel. And he said, this is a picture of what the kingdom of God is like, that the kingdom of God is breaking in. Just like these friends dug a hole in the roof, so God is digging holes in roofs and allowing the kingdom to come. The kingdom of God is breaking in to just our ordinary, everyday, mundane existence. Go to the next slide. And Jesus does this amazing thing in this passage where he, he puts word and deed together. So often we think about, about mission and we think about uh, evangelism and saving souls and over here we think about doing good works and, and some people focus on this and some people focus on this and there's this argument, should, which one should we do more? And Jesus, by, by dealing with in this passage, puts them both together and says they're both important. Which one would you say? Which is easier? Which is easier? To say to someone your sins are forgiven or to say, stand up, pick up your mat and go home? If Jesus asked you that question, how would you respond? I'll just let that hang there for a second because we gloss over it. And yet there's this thing that Jesus is doing is saying both are part of the same thing. That as people are healed and restored, they are also ransomed and forgiven. And they come into this place of knowing God. Scriptures are filled with stories of people who brought what they had, no matter how small, and gave generously with a joyful heart. The classic example, of course, is the, um, the little boy who brought his lunch to Jesus, right, the feeding of the 5,000. I, I remember writing a, an assignment on this when I was in Bible college many, many, many years ago, and I was reading all these books, and someone had written a book, this had actually got published, that this wasn't actually a miracle at all. What Jesus had done was he knew that there were going to be 5,000 people, 5,000 men, not including women and children, so maybe 15,000, 20,000 people. And he knew that they were going to come out and he knew that he'd have to feed them. So what he did is he spent a while gathering up enough food and storing it in a cave that was sort of hidden by some bushes, the entrance to the cave, as it would be, because you, you, know, you really want people to get it. This trick is quite impressive. And then he stands there and he breaks bread and someone starts handing him stuff out of the cave and he starts doing this, right? Someone actually wrote this. And so, so there wasn't actually a miracle. Jesus was just prepared for it. I think that takes more faith to believe than that Jesus actually fed 5,000 from a few loaves and a couple of fish. But it's really interesting in this story where the, where the miracle happens, depending on how you read the Greek. And you can read it a couple of ways, because Greeks like that doesn't ever make it easier. Someone said, go back to the original language. That'll make it easier. No, it doesn't. But uh, it says Jesus took the food and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples to distribute to the people. And so you can, eat, you can assume from the Greek that probably the miracle actually happened in the hands of the disciples, not in the hands of Jesus. I mean, if Jesus is breaking enough bread to feed 20,000 people, he's probably going to get RSI and we'll need someone to pray for him as well. So this, this, is, this multiplication happens, not just with Jesus, but with his disciples as well that Jesus does this and then gives it to them and says, now feed the people. How cool would that be if you're the disciples, right? 
What does it look like to take what Jesus has given and, and multiply it? What does it take that something small can change radically the life of a person or a community? I want to tell you this story. I was, you can go to the next slide. I was, just a couple of weeks ago, I was in Nepal visiting some projects. It's a great photo. Sorry about the quality of the photo. But anyway, I met this guy. Um, this guy is about late 20s, early 30s, and he lives out in rural Nepal, way out, uh, way out west, sort of on the border with India. And uh, he, when he was four months old, got polio. And so you can't really see it there, but the, his left arm doesn't function all that well and his left leg absolutely doesn't work. It just sort of hangs there and he walks with one crutch that he made himself, which is actually quite impressive. But he, um, for most of his life, his, his parents um, had a small part of land and they would farm just to try and create enough food for the family to eat. Occasionally, if they had a little bit more, they could sell it at market, but not very often. And uh, he sat at home all day, just sat there, nothing to do, couldn't help on the farm, and having a disability was sort of um, not well, uh, it wasn't, uh, it's sort of hidden in the community, you didn't sort of hide away if you had a disability, and so he stayed at home. The only thing he did was he um, uh, fiddled around with fixing things that were broken in the house. And he, uh, he, he, he taught himself how to repair electrical things. Now, I should show you a photo of what um, uh, electrical cables and things look like in Nepal, because you wouldn't, then you'd think, you know, um, teaching yourself actually probably is how most people train to uh, do electrical work in Nepal. But this is what he did. He, he taught himself how to fix things. And so um, just a few months ago, uh, through one of the programs with Baptist World Aid that he's, he was involved in a disability inclusion program, he received a grant of 250 US dollars, which is quite a significant amount of money in Nepal. And with that, he set up a repair shop. He's the only guy that does repairs of electrical items within like a 7K radius of where he lives. And so he's become quite popular. And for earning nothing, he now earns the equivalent of about, um, about $10 Australian a day. Now, that doesn't seem much, but in his community, most people would earn $2 a day. So he's got his own business. We said to him, what are you going to do next? You know, what, what, have you got any dreams for your business? He said, I want to learn how to fix mobile phones. I might teach myself or I might go and get some training. Thinking, I'll probably go and get some training for that one. It's probably a good idea. But everyone in Nepal has a mobile phone and no one around there fixes them. And so if he can learn to do that and teach himself or get some skills and some training on how to do that, then he will have a business that is sustainable for a longer And we said, so what difference has it made? He said, I just feel seen. I have hope. I don't have to sit at home anymore and, and do nothing. And he lives just up the road, so every day he comes down, opens up his shop. He's got some friends that have motorbikes that go and pick up supplies for him um, and bring the stuff that he orders, the stuff that he needs. And people come, you can see there's a fan there in the background and other stuff, and he's learned how to solder and he's learned how to do all this stuff. And he just fixes this stuff. And he's now making an income for himself and he's contributing back to his family. It's really cool. Just a little bit. What did it cost? $250. What's it done? It's transformed his life. 
if you go to the next slide. I, um, there's this passage in John 20 that's always fascinated me. Um, when I was a kid, it, it would happen, usually Easter time, because it's like at the end of the Easter, the end of Resurrection Sunday. And it's the bit where the disciples are um, in the upper room and they're hiding and they're afraid and the doors are locked because Jesus has been killed. They don't know what's going on. There's been some confusing things happening during the day, but they're completely confused, don't understand what's going on. And, and Jesus just appears in the room with them, which is probably enough to freak them out. And he says, peace be with you. And then he says, peace be with you again, because, you know, probably they're totally freaking out. And then he, he breathes on them and he says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Some people call it John's Pentecost. It's a really interesting passage because I, I just assumed it had this linear thing, right? That was like, the Father sends me, I send you. God sent Jesus, Jesus sends us. But interestingly, the passage says, that, that, got that tiny little word there, as, which can also mean in the same way. In the same way as God sent Jesus, so Jesus sends us. To do the same things that Jesus did. The Father sends us and Jesus sends us. So it's not just, not just this linear thing, God sent Jesus, Jesus sends us. But in the same way, what does that look like? There's, um, there's an American pastor called Bill Johnson. Have you anyone heard of Bill Johnson? And he, he says um, the biggest question he, he used to get as a pastor, people would come to him, young people, and say, Pastor, I'm, I'm trying to work out what to do with my life. What should I do with my life? And he says, it's really easy. Just go to the scripture and read it. The scripture says... Um, Jesus sent out the disciples to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons, preach the gospel. So just go and do that. And they went, no, 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 that's not what I meant. I meant, like, what job should I do? Should I, should I go to university and study to be a teacher or a doctor or should I, should I get an apprenticeship or should I become a gardener or what, what should I do with my life? And he goes, ah, ah, that. Oh, that's easy. Just pick one of them and heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons and preach the gospel wherever you go. Because our primary call is not our job. Our primary call is not the things we do. Our primary call is to mission, to posture ourselves the same way that Jesus does. As the Father sent me, so I send you to do the same thing. We'd better learn how Jesus did it if we're going to do it in that same way, right? It's not our ideas. It's not our grand plans and schemes and strategic plans and vision statements. It's what did Jesus do and how do we do it? And, and Jesus holds word and deed together. Both of those things. We preach and we act in love. We're involved in transforming the lives of people spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, because all of those things are broken. That's what happened in the fall, right? There's broken relationships. The result of sin is broken relationships. Broken relationship between us and God, the primary one. Broken relationship with each other. Broken relationship with ourselves, even. And broken relationship with creation. And to be properly on mission, we have to be dealing with all of those things. Holistic mission deals with all of it, not just bits of it. Go to the next slide. Now, here's the thing. If we're called to bring the kingdom of God 
and we're called to see that kingdom come, then what that looks like for us in our own neighbourhoods is the same thing, roof digging for Jesus. Digging holes in roofs, bringing people to Jesus. And we are called to do that in our own neighbourhoods, with our family, with our friends, with our neighbours, with our workmates, which is great, and we're called to do it. But it's very hard for you, unless you're regularly travelling overseas to developing nations, it's very hard for you to do that, yeah? But here's a good thing, I know a guy. (laughs) In fact, I know a number of guys in Nepal and Cambodia and Lebanon and lots of other places around the world, and this is the work of Baptist World Aid. We partner with churches here in Australia. As you dig roofs in your own neighbourhoods, we empower partners overseas to do exactly the same thing in their communities. And together we do mission holistically. See people raised out of poverty. We, we, we met in Nepal, just, we met with this women's group. I'll finish with this story. We met this women's group. And they were um, some of the poorest women in their neighbour, in their community. And they, um, uh, one of the things that poor women can't do is get official... ID and citizenship documents. They can't do it for two reasons. One is that they're, they're often women are kept poor by child marriage and dowry systems and all sorts of stuff that's way too complicated to explain in five minutes here. But they're kept poor by the social constructs and the social systems. And because of that, they don't get education. And because they don't get education, they don't, don't learn how to even write their name. And they have to be able to sign their name to get the identification documents. We met with this group who'd been meeting together for about a year and all 18 of these women in the group, their greatest joy was they all learnt to sign their name. And when, when our partner asked them, what's the best thing? Someone said, oh, I've learnt to sign my name. And he said, how many of you learnt to sign your name? And all 18 of them just jumped to their feet with these big smiles on their faces. And we go, write your name, right? You know, you learn that, do that before you even get to school in Australia. And, you know, by the time you're in grade two or grade three, you get your pen licence and then it's really special. And you can write it in pen, not just pencil. But for these women, learning to sign their name was life transforming. This is the kingdom of God in action. One of our partners in Nepal we work with the Baptist churches in Nepal. When we started working with them, there were nine Baptist churches in Nepal 25 years ago. Off the back of community development, there are now over 500 churches, Baptist churches in Nepal, 25 years later. 25 years, 500 churches and growing all because people went with the love of Jesus and started addressing the poverty and the community issues. And people said, why are you doing this? Why? We'll tell you why. There's this guy called Jesus. That's the gospel in action and it's word and deed together and that's what God calls us to do. As the Father sends me, so I send you. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you gave up your privilege. You gave up everything that you had to come 
and be like us so that we could understand who you are and understand who your Father is. That you came and saved us and you rescued us and you restored us. Jesus, it's still your desire to do that in all sorts of places around the world where people are living on the margins every day. Where girls don't get educated and get married off at the age of 12 or 14. Where people struggle to make enough money just to survive. And Jesus, you call us into those places as well as to have a coffee with our next door neighbour. It's all the same, Lord. It's the same mission. So would you give us a heart for those who don't know you? Would you give us a heart for those who live on the margins, for those who struggle with poverty and injustice every day? Jesus, would you show us what it means to be sent to do the things that you did? Holy Spirit, speak to us, we pray. Amen.